It is difficult to believe that we are at the end of our study, but we are in Galatians chapter 6 this morning, and I want us to begin by looking at verses 1 through 5. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. And we know, we learned in chapter 5, that law is the law of love. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one must bear his own load." Now, as we think about this and we look at verse 1, he says, you who are spiritual. So let's jump back into chapter 5 and look at the verses that we looked at last week and briefly look at verses 19 through 26. It begins in 19 by saying, now these are the deeds of the flesh, right? Now, I want you to understand something. When the Bible talks about flesh in a negative sense, it is talking about our sin nature, our fleshly sin nature, not your physical body. Okay, when the Bible says flesh, it's not talking about your physical body. Your physical body is now a temple of the Holy Spirit. And this physical body, although marred by sin, will one day be glorified. And as Jesus is, so we will be. So our bodies, along with the rest of us, were created in the image of God. So it is not our bodies that are evil. It is our sin nature the fleshly nature that opposes the spiritual nature that now lives in us through the Holy Spirit that the Scripture is talking about. So when it talks about the deeds of the flesh, those are deeds of our sin nature, okay? It says, here they are, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we know that is not a momentary lapse into sin. That does not condemn you to hell. It is those who practice these things, who try to get better at them. That's what we do when we practice, right? It becomes a part of who we are. Those people will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, the opposite of our fleshly sin nature, is the very character of Jesus Christ. So the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh, our fleshly sin nature it's talking about, with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another, okay? He's contrasting the spirit and flesh again. What did he say in 25? If we live by the spirit, let's walk by the spirit. The only way we can do that is to be filled by the spirit. And then he jumps back to exposing the flesh in verse 26. Let us not become boastful. If I'm boastful, what am I doing? I'm comparing myself to someone else that I think I'm better than, right? That's sin to do that. Challenging one another envying one another, coveting the 10th commandment, one another. But then he goes on, and you, we realize you know, these things are broken up into chapters and verses for ease of study. This was an entire letter, so they would not have read it the way we have read and studied it. They would have read the entire thing in one sitting. So it flows directly from verse 26 into brethren. 
Even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness. So what does that mean? It means if there is a brother or sister in Christ who is caught in a trespass, the enemy has set a trap for them. This is not something they practice. This is not a part of who they are. The enemy has set a trap. They have fallen into the trap, and what are we to do? We are to restore them how? In a spirit of gentleness. With condemnation and shame? No. That's the flesh. That's what the, the enemy's already doing, that one. All right? If they have fallen into a trap of the enemy, you better believe they're feeling guilt and condemnation and shame because the accuser of the brethren will make sure that we feel that when we fall into a trap of the evil one. So we come alongside in a spirit of gentleness to restore them. The goal is always restoration. What did Jesus say when he talked about the shepherd who leaves the 99 and goes after the one who has strayed? That is what we're to do. That's the picture of who it is we are to be. We are to be so filled with love and grace that we go after the one that the enemy is trying to seize and we, brought, we draw them back to restore them. So think about the fruit of the Spirit. It is literally the character of Christ. But when you think about fruit, he's comparing it to fruit. Fruit has to be what for it to be sweet? It has to be ripe. It has to be mature, right? So we need to be mature in Christ to be able to bear the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit can only be produced by the tree, not the branches. When you think about the vine, it's not the branches on the vine that Jesus talked about in John 15 that bear the fruit, the grapes. It is the vine itself. It's the sustenance that comes from the roots through the vine or through the tree out into the branches that actually bears the fruit. The tree with its root system is our life source. We are simply to abide that Jesus might produce his character in us. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 15 the abide chapter, but I want us to look at verses 4 through 8. This is the evening before Christ would be betrayed, would be crucified the next day, and he's speaking to his disciples, these disciples, these last things of importance that he wants them to know. And in chapter 15, verse 4, he says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and drives up and they gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. Now listen to these two verses. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As we look at verse 8, it says, My Father is glorified by this. By what? Look back at verse 7. What is it? It's answered prayer. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, by answered prayer, is my Father glorified. Wow. We're proving we're his disciple by bearing fruit. How? as the result of answered prayer. But how do we get the answered prayer? By abiding in him. If we abide in him and his word abides in us, then guess what? We're going to be asking according to his will. We're going to be walking in the spirit, filled with the spirit, led by the spirit. And God is going to fill us with wisdom and insight and he is going to give us his word to pray. And as we stand in the gap on behalf of people, many times God will give us a promise upon which to stand Because God has spoken to us what he is doing in that person's life or in that particular circumstance or situation. 
So who is spiritual? Well, if you, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament is 1 Corinthians 2 and 3. And in chapter 2, it's where it tells us we've been given the spirit of God, not the spirit of the world. The spirit who knows the very thoughts of God. And we're able to discern spiritual truth because we have the Holy Spirit living within us. It goes on to say the natural, the lost person, can't understand the things of the Spirit. Not that they don't want to, not that they're not trying. They cannot because it is only discerned by those who have the Spirit dwelling within them. But 1 Corinthians 3 is the one that gets me every time I read it because it's talking about those who are believers and those who should know better but don't because they're still living in their carnal sin nature. Listen to verses 1 through 3. Paul says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men. What did he tell us here in Galatians 6? You who are spiritual, restore, go after them. I couldn't speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you're not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you're not yet able. Why? For you are still fleshly. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly? And are you not living like mere men or women? What he's saying here is you cannot be spiritual by white-knuckling it. You cannot will yourself to produce fruit. It's not going to be the kind of fruit we're talking about here if you're willing it into existence, right? We can't do it. We can only abide in him and allow the spirit to flow through us and allow him to produce his fruit in our lives through his power that flows through us, through his spirit as we choose to abide in him. And as we look at these verses, Paul is calling us to personal accountability because what did he tell us? Don't compare yourself to somebody else. Look at your own life. We don't compare ourselves to others. We compare ourselves to Christ. (laughs) And then you can boast. Well, I don't know about you, but when I compare myself to Christ, I have nothing to boast about, (laughs) right? That puts me in my place really quick. So Paul is calling us to personal accountability and mutual responsibility. So I'm accountable to God for my life in Christ, but I am responsible for my brothers and sisters in Jesus. We are one in Christ. We are a body, we are a family, and we are to bear one another's burdens. We are to care for one another and to examine ourselves. We also know that we're going to reap what we sow. So he moves into that to explaining to us basically the spiritual truth that God has set in place, the principles that take place in the spirit realm. Let's look at verses 6 through 10. The one who is taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now, the Greek word for mocked is found nowhere else in the New Testament, although it is well attested in the Septuagint, which was an additional list of laws and regulations written during the silent era that the Pharisees and Sadducees abided by. It means literally to turn up the nose in mockery or contempt. That's pretty strong language. What is he saying to him? He's just 
contrasted the flesh and the spirit, right? The end of five and first part of six. And you who are spiritual, restore in a spirit of gentleness. And now he's saying, don't be deceived. Don't think you're going to slide by and live in the flesh and God is not going to deal with you. He will. He's calling us to grow up in the spirit, to be spiritual people. And he is telling us, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. He's not fooled. He's not deceived by our outward behavior when the inside has not changed. And the truth we all know is when we're squeezed, what's on the inside comes out, right? What's really on the inside comes out. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. We know that. And so we want God to change us from the inside out. And we are going to sow to the Spirit, not to the flesh. We're going to invest in those things that are spiritual. We're going to set our mind on things above. We're going to immerse ourselves in the Word of God. In fact, one of the things I've been doing this week, since it's Holy Week, I actually started a week ago, is reading the Gospel of John. Because I read through the Bible chronologically every year. I'm in the Old Testament. But every time I get to Easter, I always go and read one of the Gospels so that I can get my heart prepared to celebrate Easter. And I've been reading the Gospel of John. If you haven't done that, I would encourage you, pick up at John 13 and read 13 through 21 before Sunday morning, and you will be incredibly blessed uh, by reading about those last few days of Christ's life on earth. Timothy George, in his commentary, said, if believers' eyes are turned to the power of the resurrection, in their hearts the cross of Christ will at last triumph over the devil, flesh, sin, and wicked men. So he tells us in verse 9, don't lose heart. And that's actually a promise. Do not lose heart because in due time you will reap if you don't grow weary. Don't give up. Persevere. Be that persistent widow in the parable that Jesus told that wouldn't stop knocking until the, jo- until the judge moved on her behalf. And then what does he say? Do good to all. Let us do good to all people, especially those who are of the household of faith. I love Psalm 37. And you're going to see that the truths of the New Testament are laced all throughout the Old. And in Psalm 37, 3, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Who are we? We are the people of the good report and of good works. That is who we are. Because we are reflecting Jesus Christ, the people of the good report and the people of good works. And then we look at Paul's closing remarks. In verse 11 and following, he says, See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Most believe this is where he picked up the pen from the scribe and began to write to close the letter. Those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised simply so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither is circumcision anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And those who will walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause trouble for me, for I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brethren. Amen. Verse 14. Go back and look at it. May it never be that I would boast, compare myself to another. Remember, because when we compare ourselves to Jesus, we have nothing to boast about. What are we going to boast in? The cross 
of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to boast about Jesus. We are going to tell others about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And we are going to acknowledge that it is through Christ that the world has been crucified to us and we have been crucified to the world. It goes back to Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. Now some of you have come in here today and um, life has been squeezing you. And maybe as you think back over the last 24 hours or the last week or two, you look at some of your reactions and realize you did not respond in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do not allow the enemy to condemn you. We all end up there at times because as Francis Frangipane said in his book, the flesh is like an old comfortable shoe. It is so easy to slip back into. And because it's our natural man, it's our fleshly nature, sometimes we do it and don't even realize we've slipped back in to doing things in the flesh instead of being filled by the Spirit. So the moment the Lord reveals it to us, what do we do? We say, Lord, I'm sorry. I have slipped back into the flesh. I have not been living under the control, the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, would you forgive me? Would you cleanse me of all unrighteousness? And Father, would you fill me again? With your Holy Spirit. But to be filled with the Spirit, I have to be emptied of Donna. That means I've got to die to my flesh so that His Spirit takes control. And I'm living life from the inside out instead of from the outside in. Instead of leaning on my own understanding, I am trusting the truth of God's Word and the power of His Holy Spirit to live like Jesus. Jesus is our example, He is the one we hold up, and He is the exact representation of God the Father, the Bible tells us. In him all the fullness of deity dwelt, and yet he was also fully human. So he lived before us the life he has called us to live and has now enabled us as we grow in Christ's likeness to become more like him. Now I want us to do just a little overview of what we studied now from Galatians 1 through 6 and think about some of the, the topics, some of the main ideas that we've been talking about as we've done our study this semester. Number one has to be love because we have learned that we are no longer under the 613 laws of the Old Testament, but one law, the law of love, to love God with our whole heart, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. that is the one law to which we've been called. God is love. We are to be like him. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It is his loving kindness, Romans tells us, that draws us to repentance. So we are drawn by his love. We are captivated by his love. We are forgiven by his love. We have been credited as righteousness by his great love because we have believed. And we've been given his grace. And what did we say grace means? What God requires God provides. We know that. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 tells us that we are saved by grace through faith. Faith, remember? If I believe, I will see. So grace, I'm saved by grace. What God has required, he's provided for me in Jesus Christ. And it's by faith on my part, believing. And if I believe, I will see. Not of works, <laughs> lest anyone should boast. Remember, we have nothing to boast about. So we understand we are called to the law of love. We have been given God's grace and his peace. And what is his peace? It is shalom. It is well-being. It is flourishing. And it's flourishing from the inside out. It does not mean your circumstances will change, but it does mean that in the midst of them, you are able to say, it is well. My Savior is with me. 
My I am is all I need. He will meet every need I have. As I lean on him, I know I am genuinely loved and eternally significant. And so I'm going to abide in my Savior and allow his spirit to flow through me and his peace to permeate my life. In John 14, 27, Jesus said to his disciples, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. He gives us his peace. We have peace with God, but we also have peace in our inner man, knowing that he will meet us at the point of our need, and he is the one who will sustain us. And we know, just like the title of our study, we have been set free. We are no longer obligated to the law of man, as far as the law of the Old Testament, we are no longer obligated to try to just obey. It's not behavior modification. It is inner transformation as we become like Christ, when we become new creatures. Jesus said to them in John 8, 34 through 36, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So if the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Because we are in Christ, we are now sons and daughters of the Most High. But we are seen as sons, the firstborn, the one who inherits the blessing, the double portion. Because we're in Christ and everything that belongs to Christ now belongs to us. So we are free. Free from our sin nature. As we said, not our physical bodies. I'm not talking about free from flesh physical body, but free from our sin natures, what that means. Our bodies will one day be glorified. Now, I want you to think back with me for just a moment to the garden. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil instituted the legalistic system of the flesh. But the law was our tutor. It was our guide to show us we could not keep the law. We could not be perfect enough to inherit eternal life or to be in right relationship with God the Father. That's what the law was used to point us to, our need of a Savior, our need of one who would keep the law, who would fulfill it for us in our place, which is exactly what Jesus did. The tree of life gives life, bears fruit, and brings healing. Jesus is the tree of life, and we are in him, and his living water is to flow forth from our inner man, the beauty of his character, the fruit of his spirit flowing forth unquenched. Well, as I was studying this this summer and reading through, all of a sudden I just saw the whole that there's one law, we're no longer under all these laws, there's one law, it's the law of love, I was so excited about it, and the fruit of the spirit is the very character of Jesus Christ, and I just had this visual of what I really thought we could, could look at, something that might depict the truth that we're studying. So I called Christy Hall our precious artist in residence, <laughs> said, okay, Christy, here's what I'm thinking. Could you illustrate this? Well, I want you to know Christy has painted us a picture to illustrate the truth that we have been studying this semester. And this is that picture. Now, I want you to listen, and you can, if you can pull it up on the screens, the picture of the tree on the screens, that would be awesome because I just want to read something over you. Think with me just a moment as you're looking at that tree. When we turn in which is what sin does, causes us to turn in on ourselves to self-protect. We quench the flow of the Holy Spirit. But when we look up at the Lord and out at a lost world, guess what? 
were opened up just like that tree for his spirit to flow forth unquenched out of us. And we open our eyes and we open our arms just like our Savior. And we welcome the poor, the downtrodden, the children, the foreigner with the love of Jesus. When I am broken and poured out just as my Savior was, he takes over and does in and through me what only he can do. We are in Christ so that his character becomes ours. Peter told us we have become partakers of the divine nature. And it's out of his love. You see that picture of the heart? It's out of that heart of love that flows love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The fruit flows out of the tree. It's born by the Spirit in our lives. Now listen to some of these passages of Scripture. Listen to what Isaiah the prophet had to say. And the Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose, whose waters do not fail. I want to ask you this morning, does your life feel scorched? Are you in a dry place spiritually? We go through those sometimes. Sometimes it's a dry spot of our own making, sometimes I think it's a test of the Lord to see if we'll still be faithful, to seek him in the midst of the dryness when we don't sense his presence or we're not hearing his voice. Maybe it's because you're struggling in your marriage or you have a wayward child or there's something else weighing on you today that makes you feel dry and weary and scorched. I want you to know you have a well of living water within you just longing for you to look up and out that his spirit might be released in you to quench all the dry and thirsty places in your own soul and in the souls of those that you encounter. In John 7, 38 through 39, Jesus said, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. Listen to Revelation 22, 1 through 2. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The tree that she painted is an olive tree. And it is the symbol of Israel and of the people of God. And so because we are in Christ, because we've been grafted in, and we're actually descendants now of Abraham, we are in him and his spirit is able to flow through us. And that living water comes out of us, just like that beautiful picture in Revelation 22. One of my favorite missionary authors is Amy Carmichael. I have a devotional that's on your handout that I wanted to share with you. I've actually shared it in the past, but it's so beautiful and so perfect for what we're studying. I had to include it. She's quoting Psalm 65, 9 that says, the river of God is full of water. It says, recently I was sent a picture of a jug into which water was being poured. The idea was that love or whatever we need is poured into us like that. I don't think of it so at all. I think of the love of God as a great river pouring through us as the waters pour through our ravine in flood time. Nothing can keep this love from pouring through us except, of course, our own blocking of the river. Do you sometimes feel that you've got to the end of your love for someone who refuses and repulses you? Such a thought is folly. 
for one cannot come to the end of what one has not got. We have no store of love at all. We are not jugs. We are riverbeds. If there be a hindrance, sweep it all away, O love eternal. Pour through me, I pray. They will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. So that means we have to have our heads up, not down, not in, not behind, but up. Looking up with our eyes fixed on Jesus, our arms open wide, just like our Savior. And my challenge for all of us, because the summer break is a much longer break between Bible studies. So we're not going to be gathering weekly and encouraging one another and challenging one another and holding each other accountable. But I want you to stay connected with somebody in your small group, with another believer. And what I'm wanting us to do is hashtag love like Jesus. When we did our last Bellevue Loves Ministry, I posted some pictures of car care, and I put under it, hashtag love like Jesus. These men and women that were serving widows and single moms and military wives were there serving them by taking care of their vehicles, changing the oil, checking the air in their tires, looking at all the fluid levels. I was so blown away by the precious care. And, one of the, and I, I was one of the, of the women that stayed inside just talking to the women that were in there. Met some incredible women. One was a single mom whose husband died when her son was five. Her son is now grown, and she still comes up here, but she said, because I trust them to take care of my car, and they'll tell me if something else needs to be done and can recommend places that I can go to have repair work done that I can trust the people. There were so many people that going out all over the city, loving our city like Jesus. So my challenge to you this summer is to love like Jesus. And on social media, instead of scrolling to see what everybody else is doing and envying them, I want you to catch people loving others like Jesus. And don't post about yourself, but post about other people who are loving like Jesus. And then put a picture up there and hashtag it, love like Jesus. Let's start a movement <laughs> to get the focus off of ourselves and instead to focus on Christ and to focus on living under the one law to which he's called us, the law of love. And if we would do that, I'm absolutely convinced because it's the word of God and, to, and it's what he's called us to, that not only would our families be transformed, our neighborhoods, our communities, our church would be transformed. We are to be known by our love for one another. Is that how we're known? And if it is not, it's our fault. So we can, we can take care of that by changing the way we're living and focusing more on the Lord and more on serving and loving our fellow man. It's his love that drew us, forgave us, and saved us, and now compels us to go and share his love. And my prayer is that you will have this picture in your mind of abiding in the tree of life and allowing his spirit and his fruit to be manifest in your life. But remember, you've got to be spiritual, which means we've got to die to our sin nature because it's the spiritual that are able to go after those who have strayed, who have fallen into the pit, and in a spirit of gentleness to restore them. It is the spiritual to whom Paul is writing, and he reprimands those who are still living like infants because they're living like mere men or mere women. We are not to resort to the flesh and what we can do. We are instead to release ourselves as we die to our flesh and come alive in Christ, and in resurrection power, we love other people in the name of Jesus Christ. You are free. That means you're free to love. We are free and we are overflowing. Our cup overflows. It's not half full, it's not half empty. It is overflowing if we are in Christ. 
Let that river of living water be loosed in your life and love people to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity we've had to dig deep into the book of Galatians. Lord, we thank you for the letter that Paul wrote to these churches. And God, just how pertinent and up-to-date it is. Father, we, we ask that you'd help us to apply the truths that we've learned this semester to our own lives. And Lord, that you would so change us by your love that's been revealed to us that we would never be the same. And Father, that we would go forth from this day Every day, asking you, Lord, help me die to myself, that Jesus Christ might live and flow through me, that I might see people as you see them and love them as you love them. And Lord, if I'm compelled to love, I'm going to be compelled to meet needs and compelled to share the gospel. Lord, thank you for all the people that went out visiting Sunday night. Thank you for the stories we heard for the people who were prayed for, for those who were saved. Lord, we thank you. That is the ministry to which you've called us. Let us never lose sight of that. And Father, I bless these women in the name of Jesus. I thank you for their faithfulness and commitment this semester. And I'm asking now that you would loose your spirit within them, that you would flow through them, that you would love through them. And God, you would send out an army, an army of Christ followers who will love our city to Jesus. And it's in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen.